Welcome back to United Planet Radio. I'm your host, Charlie Leitner. Um, we've had uh, quite a little bit of a hiatus for our summer months, but today we have with us Francis Tapon. Francis is an accomplished traveler, speaker, and writer. He graduated from Amherst College with a degree in religion and later received his MBA from Harvard Business School. In 2006, he became a full-time travel writer. He's also written two books, and his travel experience is... Uh, is quite remarkable. Uh, so welcome, Francis. Hey, Charlie, how's it going? Thank you so much for having me on United Planet Radio. Yeah, no problem. We're, we're very excited to have you. Um, now, as much as I wanted to go, you know, bit by bit on your whole travel experience, why don't you take us through it? We um, don't have uh, seven hours here. We, yeah. And, <laughs> in, in, you know, the, the, the time we have, um, I guess, what gave you the bug would be my first question. Uh, what kind of sparked you to just go, hey, I'm going to start trying to travel the world? You know, it's a good question because part of me would likes to respond that it's in my DNA because my mom is from Chile, my father's French. And so as a result, from a very, very early age, before I could even remember, I was already on a plane traveling to Chile and France to visit relatives. And my father was also a guy who imported things from Latin America. And so he f traveled frequently to Latin America to import merchandise. So in some way you would think it's DNA. On the other hand, there's these people who are not, you know, they try to do the opposite of whatever their parents do. So I don't know, <laughs> you know, it's like you have siblings. I'm sure Charlie, maybe you have a sibling who does, who's like the exact opposite of you, right? Uh, pr pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> a few of them. Yeah. <laughs> So this is the thing. So it's like when people say it's all DNA, I'm like, okay, yes, but you know, I've got a very similar DNA as my relatives, but still sometimes we behave quite differently. So maybe epigenetics, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, and your first thing was the App Appalachian Trail. That was your first? Yeah, that was my first uh, serious solo trip that I would say. And that's about 3,000 kilometers or 2,100 miles okay. that goes along the east coast of the United States, not the coast, but the actual mountains, the Appalachian Mountains. And it took me about uh, three months and three weeks, I think it was. Okay. And after that, you did the Continental Divide along. No, long. Uh, for, first, uh, then I did the Pacific Crest Trail, which is about 4,200 kilometers. And then I did the Continental Divide Trail. But the weird thing about the Continental Divide Trail is I did it as a round trip. So I started in Mexico, walked up to Canada, and then walked all the way back and did it along the Rocky Mountains. And it was a spectacular seven-month journey, nonstop in the woods, sleeping outside, about a thousand kilometers in snow. It was really a, a fun adventure, and I'll never forget that. That that was great. And so, with these three three trips, uh, there's got to be a lot of planning. There's got to be. How, how did you get the time? Uh, how did you make sure you had enough uh, money uh, and to make sure you did it? Uh, the right way is not the correct way to say it, but. The, the way that you intended or envisioned it. Yeah. The time, I think for Americans, time is more valuable than money. And that is, you know, if you go to, let's say I spent the last five years in Africa, there they have much more time than they have money. In America, it's the opposite. And so it's carving out the time, I think, is a lot harder, I think, for Americans to do, uh, or anybody from high-income countries, I would say. Is and making that time. And for me, it was just quitting my job. And then that was, <laughs> that's the easy way to do it. And, and what I would say to those who don't want to just quit their job, a lot of us change jobs every one or two or three or four years, right? And 
what a lot of people waste is that perfect opportunity between jobs to then take several months off. And so that's, and, and a lot of employers who really want you to hire you are willing to wait a couple of months or at least a month for you to go off and blow off you know, some steam and go do some crazy adventure or volunteer for United Planet and you know go off and do something different because that's going to help you grow as a person. So I would say that even if you think you don't have the time, most of us quit jobs and if you can just save up enough income to last a few months and maybe rent your 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 place that you have, rent it out on Airbnb or do something like that to to kind of like not be zero in the negative income and maybe come back and and break even then that's the way. And then finally, long distance hiking trips are pretty cheap because you're sleeping outside. So you don't have lodging costs. You're sleeping underneath the tent. You don't, I don't go to hotels much during the trail. Some people do, but that's a very inexpensive way to take a, a long sabbatical. And all you got to do is pay for food and food is not that expensive, especially in the United States. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you you talked about quitting your job. You worked in robotics. You worked in in, in software. Can you describe your uh, your your experience before becoming a, a travel writer and a professional uh, nomad? Yeah, what I did before was I worked in Silicon Valley, and I wish I could say I made millions of dollars, like all the tales you hear, but I didn't. Actually, I did a startup which was robotics vision related, but it went nowhere. It really didn't make much money at all, and I eventually made money by just being a consultant and working for Microsoft and attaching uh, these Silicon Valley companies that there I, but the secret was I lived like a monk. I lived in a very simple life. And again, one try, tying it back to United Planet, I think that maybe when people go volunteer, I don't know, I, I imagine you guys are not putting them up into Four Seasons, right? No, no, no. Right, so maybe they're sleeping underneath a very humble shelter. Yep. And they're learning to live with just cold water and not even hot water, perhaps in certain locations, and and just living a very simple, simple existence. And when you do that, then all of a sudden you come back to the United States and, and you say to yourself, huh, wow, I was able to go to Zimbabwe and do all this volunteer work for a, a few weeks, and I didn't have any hot water, and I was perfectly happy, and I was fine. And I was staying in a little hut, and I was fine. In fact, I was happy. So why do I need a three-bedroom apartment for just you know one person or two persons or whatever it is? Um, maybe I can shack up with some roommates, or you know maybe I enjoy the social life or th- that I had when I was traveling, when I was working for United Planet. I had all this sho- social stuff. United States, we tend to be very cubicle kind of oriented. What I mean by that is also in our lives, we have our little apartments, our little spaces, our studios, and we don't really interact. And all of a sudden, when we go to a low-income country, we might realize, wow, people socialize a lot more, and that's actually kind of fun, and that's kind of human. And so, therefore, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to save money. I'm going to spend only $500 instead of $2,000 a month on my uh, lodging, and I'm going to have a roommate or whatever. You know, things like that might change your mind and find ways to save money so that you can take longer breaks and do more volunteer work in the future. Uh, that Yeah. That, that all makes sense. Now we're looking at your your website, the map on your site of your journey uh, through the entirety of Africa, what it, what it seems like to us. Uh, can you this was a colossal trip, I'm sure. Uh, can you can you talk to us about about this experience and, and what went into this, what you learned and the challenges you may have faced? 
and uh, yeah. Yeah, so Charlie, I started in 2013. I entered into the African continent for the first time in my life. I was an Africa virgin. I went in there in Morocco. And from Morocco, I had bought a, a car in Spain, and so I took it across the Strait of Gibraltar. Um, and then from there, I went to Morocco and went all the way down Western Africa, then down to Southern Africa, through Middle Africa, and then East Africa, and then eventually got to North Africa again. I visited all 54 African countries. I spent about five weeks in each country. And I really tried to immerse myself and understand the culture. I took almost, I took very few planes just to go. The only time I took planes were to get to the seven island nations that Africa has. And other than that, it was mainly so that I could really try to understand the continent at the ground level. And so what people do, let's say when they volunteer for United Planet, it's a wonderful way to get to know a certain region of the world relatively well. I want to know, or, or a certain region, let's say if you go and volunteer in Africa, but just imagine you're doing that several times. And that's kind of what I did, even though I wasn't volunteering, I was just traveling, but I stayed with the locals. I lived with the locals. I slept outside. I did a lot of things in order to interact with the, with the people. I picked up 3000 hitchhikers. And so I did a lot of things in order to kind of connect myself to the Africans and to try to understand their perspective and their way of seeing the world. Well, I mean, there's there's so many things uh, that I learned. I'm trying to fo uh, focus on something in particular, but I, I do think that one thing that you learn is that, of, you know, you can really focus things on, on different things. You can focus on our commonalities, that we're all homo sapiens in the end, that we all value things like family and we value things like relationships and being happy and whatever. So you can focus on the great, on the big picture. But of course, you can also focus on the microcosm and look at little tiny things and little differences that uh, that are different that are there are difference in between each in within each African country. There are often dozens of tribes and ethnic groups and and you can see differences amongst them. But you can also see some commonalities between, let's say, things that Tanzanians share with each other that is different. Than Kenyans. For example, Tanzanians have a tendency to not speak English nearly as well as Tanzanians. They speak Swahili much more better. That's a, that's a general trait. But within Tanzania, you can drill down and look at the different factions and groups within them and see their um, differences as well. So um, it's, it's, it's uh, I, I guess one thing that surprised me when I was in Africa is just how much more in common. I guess when I came in there, I expected to see radical amount of differences between certain regions from from place to place but i found a lot of more commonality than i expected and so again that comes up to our expectations for those who have expectations that all africans speak an african language or that we're, they're under one government <laughs> um and africa is a country not a continent then they'll be surprised oh my god i didn't know there was 54 african countries oh my god i didn't know that there was 200 tribes in in nigeria Oh, you know, these are things that are like, oh, my God, there's so much more difference than I expected. But for me, I expected a lot of difference. And so I came in surprised that there was not as much difference as I expected. So, again, it's a, it's a question of expectations, I suppose. Yeah. And those differences often always seem to be the same everywhere in some in a lot of cases. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You have certain groups uh, and and certain groups that let's say are might be known as the hardworking group and the groups that like 
work worked themselves to death. Um, for example, in Nigeria, that group is the the Igbo people. They the Igbo are notorious for working well. Versus the Hausa are more quote unquote lazy and they're not as you know they're more religious. You know, so they all have these these groups and 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 the same thing might happen. You know, like let's say in America, uh, Jews have a reputation of being very working, uh, very hard working, and then you have uh, other groups that uh, value religion more you know so we do you'll see these 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 groupings appear no matter where you go on the planet that's just the way homo sapiens are we are creator creatures of categorization we like to put things in categories and and we see we're pattern seekers and so of course we do that and the challenge is not to not it's it's impossible not to look at patterns. We all do. When people say to me like, "Oh, I'm not judgmental," or "Don't judge me," or whatever, we're all judging. We're judging all the time, and judging means, in other words, we're evaluating, we're we're making decisions, we're 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 observing, and we're making judgments. That doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing. What's bad is when you come to inflexible prejudgments. That's when you run into a a problem. A stereotype is not the end of the world. What's wrong is a stereotype that's utterly inflexible, that when all of a sudden you think these people can only be one way and I'm not going to allow for exceptions and I'm not going to try to listen to this person and see if this person is, is a breaking away from the stereotype in any or in a variety of ways. So I think that's what travel helps you do as long as you approach travel with an open mind. You can go to, and that's why I think it, what United Planet is doing so fan, is so fantastic is that it's helping people go to places where they may not normally go to, immerse themselves in a culture that they may not know too well, and it if they go in there with an open mind, and presumably they would be there with an open mind, they can break a lot of the stereotypes that they may have about a certain group of people that they have never really connected fully. And by the way, one more thing, there's it's a two-way street. So a lot of Africans, for example, we're talking about Africa here, but it applies to the world. They have certain stereotypes about Americans, and they might think that, that we're all rich or that we, we have, I don't know, uh, they have certain, uh, that we only speak English. And, and when they all of a sudden they meet us, they're like, oh my God, I didn't know that, you know, there's people who maybe don't like Donald Trump or who do like Donald Trump, or we, I didn't know that there's some people who... Uh, speak Spanish as well as English or, or or that are poor, you know, and, and so they all of a sudden learn. So it's a wonderful cross-cultural way of, of, of making bridges across the world. And I guess that's the whole point of United Planet. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, I've lost my train of thought, but what, what are some <laughs> of the tra- challenges you had while, uh, while traveling through, through Africa? I'm sure you, did you have to get visas? Did you have to, uh, you know, what you have to do to, to, to make sure your, your travel trajectory was, you know, s- somewhat safe. Um, you know, I guess that this is a question for anyone looking to go to you know, any any part of the world uh, that, that might be difficult to get into, but they want to get in there to either see it for, what, for what's going on there or try to do some help. Uh, so I guess this is a two-part question. Uh, how, how did you, uh, you know, figure out, the, the, the all the, the travel challenges that you might have faced and on the other hand what advice do you have for for people who might come up against those challenges and how to work work through them yeah visas are a challenge in about at least half of the african countries and maybe only a third actually now are are getting to be a kind of a headache and maybe only about 
of the 54 African countries, maybe five are really difficult to get, especially when you're traveling. So, uh, so for example, take the DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo. They require you to get, and, and they, along with about five other countries, require you to get your visa from your home country. So you, in other words, let's say you're American, you need to get your visa from the embassy in Washington, D.C. before you leave United States and get it on your passport. So there's maybe about five countries that are insisting on that in Africa. Um, when you're in the middle of a travel in Africa, let's say you're visiting, I don't know, Gabon, and you want to go to the DRC, it's going to be extremely difficult to get a visa. I, I pulled these things off because I was traveling for five years. I didn't have a choice to kind of leave the continent. Well, I did have a choice, but I didn't want to go leave the continent and get a visa in America and then come all the way back. But in general, you do want to do some, definitely look at visa situations. Now, here's the good news is that the popular countries in Africa tend to have very liberal and easygoing uh, visa processes. So, for example, Morocco or Egypt or Madagascar, South Africa, uh, Tanzania, Kenya, these countries that are super popular with tourists, they tend to, they're popular for one reason. One of the reasons they're popular is that they are, their visa process is super easy. You fly in the airport, you arrive at the airport, you give them 50 bucks or whatever it costs, and then you get your stamp and you're in, and that's it. There's nothing nothing spectacular to do. But other countries, they require you to go through some sort of uh, hoops and, and hops. But here's the good news is that in the last couple of years, they have made a lot of e-visas in, you know, in Africa. For example, Zambia is doing an e-visa and many other countries are doing, uh, I think Rwanda. What, is, what, is, uh, what does that mean, e-visa? E-Visa is that you go online and you fill out your whole application. You up, you take a photo of your passport and then or any other documentation and you upload it as a JPEG or a PDF in their uh, website. So it's super, and, and super easy. Yeah, in the sense, I mean, it's still paperwork, but in the end, you don't have to like actually physically mail your stuff to a uh, an embassy mm -hmm. or, or, or worse, go to a consulate or go to an embassy physically and drop off your paperwork. So they finally have modernized some of this stuff in some African countries, but a lot of them haven't. So um, anyway, so these are things. The short answer is just do, don't assume that you can just walk into the country just like you could walk into Mexico or Canada. Right. It's not that easy. There are certain countries that require a lot. But of course, I imagine if you're volunteering for United Planet, then they already know all the hoops you got to go through. And so they will uh, help you do all that stuff. Right. And what, what, is, what, what was the typical time frame for you to, re to receive some of those more difficult visas? Um, I would say in general, most visas were given to me within a couple of days. Um, there was a couple exceptions where like Nigeria, I went, I got visas for Nigeria three times and twice was easy because I had a connection, but the third time was difficult. I had to wait two months for that visa. I had to wait about a, a, a month or two for my Chad visa. I had to wait uh, a couple of weeks for my Niger visa. So there were some, a few times, oh, and DRC. And other time and, and some of this is not really obvious. For example, Algeria, I tried three different embassies in Africa before I finally got to Chad's uh, the embassy of Algeria in Jemena, which is the capital of Chad. There I finally got a consul uh, uh, council who was able to give me the visa in about 4 days. But I had to try three different embassies in three different countries in order to finally get to the one embassy that would give me the visa cuz Algeria is a country that requires you to get the visa from your home country so they were always blocking me on that little technicality okay and was there a difference between your first 
journey versus your most recent journey? Did you notice? Was there was there differences that you that you might have noticed? Whether it be location or just general overall experience that that you've taken away from from you know your lifelong dedication to uh, travel. A lot of things change as you gain experience. Number one, you become a little bit more cocky and stupid in a sense because you know when you're first leaving the country, you know you have you have no idea what you're doing and you're scared and you're like don't know and you overplan and you overpack and you do over everything, right? After your 50th trip abroad, at that point, you're like, you go there without any backpack. You don't even bring your toothbrush. You know you can buy a toothbrush abroad. You, you, you forget your passport. I mean, you're just like sloppy. <laughs> and so you become cocky in some ways. You, you, you go to areas that before you're like, oh, my God, I'm not going to even leave my hotel at night. And then later on, you're, you're like, like, you go, go at night, night in Somalia, Somalia in the, in the <laughs> which is what I was doing. I was just like walking around in the town at night in Somalia. I couldn't care less. Yeah. <laughs> so so the, this is kind of the evolution that you go through. <laughs> you kind of become, oh. I guess, more confident and as oh. a result, a little bit more stupid uh, about some of the risks that you take as you, you gain confidence in your travel because you realize that the, the, the planet is not a scary place and that it's not Francis, nearly as bad as it appears. You're going spotty on us a little bit. so as bit. a result, you kind of lower your guard and and then at, at some point you might get strangled in, in, uh, in a dark alley like I w got strangled in Cameroon. We just, we just cut in and out with you just, just briefly for the, last, for the last thing you just said. That's all right. I recorded it locally, so. That's oh, okay, okay great. Um, I could hear, I could hear it in my other ears, you know, but but I just kept talking as if. Oh, okay, great, 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 great. Um, awesome. Um, now you you also wrote two books uh, about your travels. Uh, the first book you wrote was in two thousand six. Um, can you tell us about about both both of those, both your books and what went into that process and and. Uh, yeah. So my first book, Charlie, was called Hike Your Own Hike, Seven Life Lessons from Backpacking Across America. And this is a self-help book. It's a fundamentally lessons learned from hiking the Appalachian Trail and how we can apply it to our everyday life. And so I'm using the trail as a metaphor to kind of talk about everyday life. My second book was called The Hidden Europe, What Eastern Europeans Can Teach Us. And this is a book about my three years of travel through all 25 Eastern European countries, one chapter dedicated to each country. And I really want to uh, help people understand what's the difference between a Latvian and a Lithuanian, a Slovenian and a Slovakian. And to me, those were kind of mysterious places in the same way that people don't know the difference between Guinea, Guinea-Bissau and, and Equatorial Guinea. These are three African countries. And what the hell's the difference between all three of them? Who knows? We don't know. And so I kind of approached that book the, the about Eastern Europe. I felt like it's the hidden Europe whenever t everybody talks about Europe, they go to just Western Europe. They really leave out Eastern Europe, which has some fascinating places. So um, I think people need to kind of stretch their travel horizons and and stretch their comfort zone a little bit. And this is something I try to encourage people to do. So those who have already experienced Western Europe, they should go and experience Eastern Europe. Those who have experienced, let's say, Kenya and Tanzania, they should go and consider to go to Mauritania or to go to Niger or go to Gabon and go to um, uh, Angola. These are places that are safe, and yet they're different from the typical tourist route. And I think a place like United Planet, by the way, also allows you to volunteer in certain areas that the, the tourists, tourists often don't see. see. Yes. Um, 
Uh, yeah, that's great. And that super, seems super applicable to today, too, uh, especially in the United States. You see when people just simply go oh, white, black, brown, that's it. That's that's the way that's the thought process. So it seems like we need to work on uh, expanding, expanding those those thoughts so that we can, you know, improve our, our social fabric, um, especially nowadays. Um, what 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 kind of work do you have uh, for the future coming up? So I have my book about Africa. Uh, surprise, surprise. I'm working on it to come out in 2020, I hope, sometime by the end of 2020 at least. Uh, it's going to be covering all 54 African countries and the whole journey, the five-year journey, epic. It will be kind of like my second book, The Hidden Europe, except obviously it's about Africa. So that will be my next big trip, uh, my next big project that I'm currently working on. After that, I want to go to the greater Middle East. And what I mean by that is everything from Pakistan all the way to Israel. So all the Stans, all Central Asia, as well as what I, you know, what I would call Western Asia, which includes the Gulf states and Middle East. So that will be the, about a, a one-year journey to kind of understand that. And I, it's kind of going into the heart of Islam. That's where Islam is, is, is a strong religion in that region. And I think there's a lot of misunderstandings. And I would love to kind of sink my teeth into that and kind of really understand that region well, just like I did with Africa and Eastern Europe. Mm -hmm. Great. Uh, and you and also then, uh, host a podcast uh, yeah. on your site. Can you can you talk about that? What what your framework is behind uh, your podcast, and you know who you've had on the show, and what 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 prompted you to start something like that? Yeah. yeah so, so in some ways, there's a lot of similarities between my podcast, which is called the Wander Learn podcast. It's just one word: wander and learn. And similar to United Planet, in other words, by going around the world, we kind of transform ourselves. We kind of understand the world. We kind of realize some of the commonalities. We kind of appreciate the differences. And what I think is that travel is one of the best universities in the world. And yes, I went to Harvard, great. But I would say that a much cheaper and also a wonderful way to educate yourself is to travel, especially to places that are beyond your comfort zone. That's when people, I think, grow the most and to do things and to take on activities that just push whatever limit we have. And we all have different limits. So whatever that is, go to that limit and then push, try to push a little bit beyond it so that you grow as a person, as an individual, as a world citizen, and that you come back and you make your own community richer in the process. So I think that's so the kind of the guests I have are people who are, you know, it, it varies. I've done everything from interview people who are, are great travelers like Rolf Potts who wrote Vagabonding to uh, hunters. I interviewed a bunch of hunters to try to understand like why do people hunt? You know, just keeping your mind open to all things. Some people are very anti-hunting. I don't hunt, but I just want to learn about them and ask them questions and keep it keep an open mind to it. And so I think that is you need to have an open mind whenever you travel. And you're not going to come away back home necessarily agreeing with whoever you met or discussed or whatever, but at least you might have a little bit more empathy, a little bit more understanding, and not uh, judge them in such a negative light and and have a little bit more comprehension. And that makes the world a, a better place. And I think that's a, a wonderful thing. Wow. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, we just have a few more questions for you, if you've got the time. Please. Um the first is you, you were recently inducted into the California Outdoors Hall of Fame. So congratulations to you for that. Uh, Thank you. 
uh, you're up there with you know Ansel Adams. He was inducted as well. How how does that feel? Um, yeah, I, I I was um obviously super honored, super flattered. Um, I think it's because I went 45 days without taking a shower. That's what did it. <laughs> you, that you give that credit to the to the hygiene. Nice. <laughs> yes, yes. You know that's what it comes down to. <laughs> yeah. So um, if you can go that long without a shower, you should go to the California Alpha's Hall of <laughs> Hall of Shame. I was gonna say, <laughs> but um, but yeah. So um, it's 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 a great honor. It's one of these. It's like a lifetime achievement award. In other words, it's not based on any one particular act you had. I walked across Madagascar. I walked across Spain twice. I've done, I, when I was in Africa, one thing we didn't talk about was the fact that I was climbing the tallest mountain of every African country. I've managed to climb 50 of the 54 African countries, the tallest mountain. The four ones I didn't get to climb were all military, uh, had military issues, which impeded my ability to climb the top. So they blocked me there, but um, I hope to finish them off one day. But that's kind of what it is. But I think the, the key thing is that they look for people who also inspire other people to go out there and evangelize. Because by the way, Charlie, there are people who've done physically much, much more impressive outdoor accomplishments than me and who happen to be Californian as well. But the difference is that they're not necessarily evangelizing about it. They might be doing it quietly, which there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing that. A lot of people might say, oh, you're an egomaniac, Francis. You're a narcissist. You want to go out there and brag. Okay, fine. That's one way of looking at it. It's true. You could say that. But you could, another way of saying is to, to be an evangelist, to go out there and encourage, to inspire, to go out there and help people to find the courage or to remind people what they stand for. Because a lot of people know that they would like to go out in the outdoors. A lot of people know that they would like to travel, but they, they need that kick in the pants every once in a while to remind them, you know what? I got to stop talking about this. I got to actually do something. And so people like me and people like you, Charlie, just, in, I hope, are encouraging people to get off their asses and actually do something. Get out there and do the things that you value and stop talking about it and actually do it. And so that when you have that, that's one of the reasons why they inducted me in the California Outdoors Hall of Fame is because I go out there and try to kick people in the pants all day long. Right. Right. The world needs more of that, I think. Um, yeah. Now, I'm sure you obviously have to keep in shape uh, for all the all the hiking and, and you know traveling you do how, how, what are some of the ways you do that how do you make sure you're you're ready to go if you if you're if you're traveling in a month or you're traveling in you know six months okay so the key thing is to treat being in shape or cheap treat fitness like you treat your other essential things like for example if I ask you Charlie do you make time to go to the bathroom yeah. <laughs> How about do you make time to brush your teeth once at least once a day? I, I do. I might have to make sure I check with my mom on that, <laughs> but I think so. <laughs> right. And, and and so there's certain uh, do you make sure that you get at least 4 hours of sleep every night? Oh, definitely. That that that's right. 100%. So so these are these are priorities, Charlie, that you and almost every single other homo sapien has. We just Make it happen. We don't say, sorry, tonight I don't have time to sleep. In fact, the next two days I'm kind of busy. I'm not going to sleep. Um, nobody uh, says, you know, I'm just not going to brush my teeth. I'm not going to go to the toilet. You know, I'm not going to eat for the next four days because I'm busy. We all make time to do these things. So, by the way, just add to that just non-negotiable list. I'm going to get 30 minutes of exercise. It's just not negotiable. Just like those other things I just mentioned. They're just not negotiable. You will just make time to do them. Even the President of the United States, uh, generally speaking, 
as a fitness record. Like, for example, Obama, George W. Bush, almost all the, the, the two Bushes, they all got fit. I don't know about Donald Trump. He probably doesn't do exercise. But there's but a lot of the presidents, the probably one of the most busy people of the planet, make time. I remember Bill Clinton made time to go run around the White House or whatever he was doing. So there. So if these guys have time, then we, even somebody who's very busy uh, in the real world should also be able to make carve out just 30 minutes a day to do exercise. And you can integrate it in your day uh, by doing activities. And so I try to get at least 30 minutes of exercise every single day. And if you're really, really time pressed, then, you know, just like either take a bike to work, work you know, force it in your schedule, do something like that. And that way you're always in shape. I, and here's one way I, I punish myself. If I do not exercise, I do not earn a shower. That's simple. Yeah. So the, at the end of the day, I ask myself, did I exercise today? And if I didn't, no shower. Hmm. And then, believe me, the next morning, I'm going to do exercise first thing in the morning yeah. so I can get my shower. Or your significant other might be like, hey, you need to go work out so you can shower. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and are you doing right. mostly uh, cardio work or, or, or are you doing a mix of things? or? I do a mix of things, yeah. So I do, um, I do cardio about 30 minutes and then I do about 15 minutes of some sort of strength training, either push-ups uh, if I have dumbbells around or you can do dips, you can do pull-ups. Um, if you have a gym membership, great. Or if you're staying in a hotel that has a gym, you can lift weights. But I do think the combination is pretty important because strength training does a couple of things. Number one, it builds muscle. And muscle builds more, uh, burns more calories than fat. And so if you've got five pounds of muscle, it burns about 25 times more calories than just being idle than the same amount of fat. And then second of all, if you um, do this, uh, weight training, you will also set yourself up to prevent injuries from happening in the first place. A lot of people get back injuries and hip injuries and knee injuries and all sorts of stuff because they haven't done weight training. And it doesn't take a lot. 10, 15 minutes a day is all you need. Try to give your muscles a break one day and then do a different group another day. And so that's it. That's it. It's very simple. I, I By the way, I just, tr I ran 30 minutes a day and I just did my very first marathon, just, sorry, half marathon. I did, I was just, this was back in my 30s, so I wasn't, but I was, I did 30 minutes every day, and then out of the blue, I just, without any training, I ran a half marathon in 90 minutes. That's it. That's all I was doing. I wasn't running more, and, and, and then I tried it again. I did a marathon, a regular marathon in four hours and 10 minutes, and then I decided to take my training just up a little bit, run 45 minutes a day. And then I ran a marathon in three hours and 38 minutes, which is good time. Nothing, nothing world breaking, but it's, you know, remarkable considering it was only took me 45 minutes of running a day. Not a, not a big. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, but it is important in, in, in anything in life uh, just to get this stuff, get this stuff done and listen to podcasts while you're doing exercise that will encourage you to. Uh, use the exercise as a school, for example. So to me, it's a way of educating my mind, feeding my brain. And But other people might use it as a meditative moment. You know, they just want to disconnect and turn off all the, the noise and just go out there and just run in silence. And that's fine too. But uh, anyway, for those who are busybodies and type A personalities, they could use uh, their podcasts. And, and that way you can say, wow, I'm going to listen to one hour podcast a day. Well, why don't you exercise for one hour? Or 
One last tip. Sorry, this is not what United Planet's all about, but we're getting too much fitness details. All right. That's what we're doing here. We're asking you questions. (laughs) Right. But anyway, but another thing is to like, here's another simple rule you can say. I cannot watch television unless I'm exercising. Just set yourself that rule. You know, just put a treadmill in front of the TV and say, listen, you can binge watch for four hours. You just have to be on the damn treadmill for four hours. And that's all. And you can set up at a walking speed or whatever it is. But you just the like maybe connect the television's power cable with the <laughs> with the exercise machine or or do sit ups or do whatever. You just cannot be a vegetable and just sit there. You have to exercise while you watch television. And that can be a reward at the same time. Anyway, just ideas or do a dumbbell lift or do any kind of something. You know, just as, as long as you're, you're moving something. As long as you're not just sitting there like a couch potato, yes. You can watch television all you want. Right. All right. I got I got two more. Well, they're actually technically they might be the same question, but depending on how you look at it. But uh, the first is, what are your five essential uh, tips for packing? Uh, the five things you can't go without on, on, any, on any trip whatsoever. And then the second is, what are three things to create a more united planet? Okay. That's a, those are two tough questions. Okay. So five things that it cannot go without. Um, I'm going to name some things that people don't think about, which is I really like to take a sleeping pad, number one, a sleeping bag, number two, and a tarp. And, and if I'm going to a mosquito zone, some way to can protect my uh, against myself mosquitoes. Tarps weigh very little. Tarps can weigh about uh, maybe a 200 grams or about seven ounces or so, um, eight ounces to get a nice big tarp. Uh, so half a pound. Um, you can get a sleeping bag for definitely less than two pounds, um, about a one kilogram. And then a pad can be, I'm, I can't remember the weight, but definitely less than a pound or definitely about 200 grams. Anyway, the total of those three items is very little. You're talking about three pounds or about one and a half kilos. Very little weight and uh, not that much bulk either. But here's the thing. When you're bringing those those items, you no longer have to worry about where am I going to sleep tonight? And that all of a sudden opens up a world of possibilities because then all of a sudden you can be much more spontaneous when you travel. All of a sudden, you don't have to worry about where are we staying in tomorrow night? Where are we staying in two weeks time? Where are we doing this? You can just go on the fly. And when you're sitting there on the train and you're talking with a local and they say, hey, where are you staying tonight? And I'm like, I have no idea. Great. Come over to my house. And and then you go over and you crash at the house of a local and you get to meet the locals. You get to meet the families. You get to eat the local food and they can maybe take you out and you can go somewhere and it's wonderful. That's what, to me, is the, is the beauty of travel. And you have that flexibility built in. Obviously, you have to be comfortable sleeping outside. But it's not that hard. I slept outside in Rome. You just, there's always a park somewhere in almost any major city. If you're out in the countryside, it's super easy. Just find any place. And you just find yourself a tree. You camp right at sunset. And you get up before sunrise. And, you're, and nobody will know you even were there. And if it's not going to rain, you just get underneath the tree to catch the dew. You don't have to worry about setting up even the, the tent unless it's going to rain. And then you have to set up the tarp um, to protect yourself against rain. Anyway, it's a crazy idea. Probably none of your guests have answered that way. So that's why I thought it would be useful to just talk more than just a toothbrush and whatever essentials that people think they have. But almost everything you can get 
abroad. You can go almost buy almost anything on the way there. So there's very few real essential items. I'm going to take a trip to San Antonio next week. And when I go, uh, I took an airline that doesn't even let me take a carry-on. <laughs> so they, can, they only let you take a personal item, which is like a laptop case. So that's going to be great training for me. It's just like I'll bring my laptop and I'm just going to bring a few pair of, uh, you know, almost nothing and just go with basically nothing. I'm like, great, this is gonna be fun. Yeah, dream come um, yeah. true. And then my, yeah, and then the fifth, the, the you said the three things to help make the world a united planet? Correct, right? yeah, three things to help make uh, make the world a more united planet, yes. Well, definitely, I mean, the obvious one is to travel, duh. Um, but the second thing is to bring travelers to you. In other words, think about joining Couchsurfing. Um, Couchsurfing is a wonderful organization, it's free to join and free to participate. Um, and you open up your house to just strangers, to people, and they all have profiles and they've been vetted by the, the community itself. And so every time somebody stays at your house or you stay at their house, people write references for each other. As a result, you're, you're, let's say if somebody from Japan says, hey, I would like to stay at your house, is that possible? You look at and says, wow, eight people, this person stayed with eight different people and they all like him. and. Sure, why not? And so all of a sudden you get a Japanese guy staying at your house for, let's say, three days, and you get to meet the person, you get to talk. So the world has come to you, and that helps the world. So a lot of people think about traveling, but I know some couchsurfing hosts who love that the world comes to them. In other words, they one week they've got a Colombian, another time they've got a Russian, another time they've got a, a South Korean who comes, visits their home, and stays with them, and that, for them, makes them feel like the world is in their little place even if they live in nebraska so it's a it's a wonderful way to do it for those who can't afford to travel the world comes to you um, and the third thing is i would say read different news sources or whatever you get your um, information don't always go to the same websites and the same tv channels or radio stations or even podcasts occasionally try to listen to people that you disagree with or people that you think you might disagree with and hang out with such people because um, or and listen to let's say you really like Fox News then listen to MSNBC or vice versa so um, just hear the other side occasionally you may not end up agreeing with them but I think it's a step toward understanding and that's something that would make our planet more united great well thank you so much Francis thank you for taking the time uh, to chat with us um, right now this is your time you've got anything you'd like to you know let everyone know um what you got going on um anything you've been working on any future plans you got uh this is your time so feel free yeah, yeah the, the, only the only thing i would encourage people is to visit some of my websites uh wanderlearn.com is my website about my podcast and then go to africa54.com to learn about my trip to all 54 african countries and then, um, yeah, that's the best way to kind of stay in touch. My user, last thing, I guess, is my username on all social media is my first initial and my last name. So it's F Tapon is the username I use throughout social media. So whatever your favorite social media thing, that way we can connect or follow, uh, follow me there. That's it. Thank so you so much, Charlie. It's been an honor to have be on United Planet. Great. Thank you so much again. Uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, if you ever find yourself in Boston, please, please stop by. Awesome. Take care.